You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Second down and one, right back to Barkley in a huge hole. Saquon Barkley off to the races and the home run hitter has gone deep here on the second play from scrimmage for the Giants. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, it is Christmas Eve Eve. Two more days before the draft and we get our new presents. Yeah, that's right. And it's, you know, it's kind of like Christmas, isn't it? You do all the pre-draft work. It's kind of like everything from Black Friday all the way up to <laughs> Super Saturday. or I forget what it's called. I used to work retail. But finally, this is the week, you know, we just, no more work, just yeah. you know, get get your shit together, go on holiday and enjoy Christmas. And so today, our special guest is The Entertainer. What's going on, man? Appreciate you guys having me on, man. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel the same way you guys do at this point. I'm kind of mock draft out. Um, and I, you know, now I'm just kind of waiting, sitting and getting ready to get excited on draft night and see who we ultimately end up taking. I gotta tell you something. I'm happy to have a Knicks fan on here. We had uh, we had Skinner on yesterday, and he's a big Nets fan. So it's glad to have somebody who's actually in the uh, in the flock who's been wandering in the wilderness for 20 years, like I have. <laughs> yeah, it's been tough, but this year has been a lot of fun. We'll see how they can. You know, they obviously they broke the streak yesterday, but six games over. I think we got 10 games left, and we'll see how the New York Knicks do down the stretch. But I'm ecstatic about the Knicks. Uh, oh, it's just one of these things where you know. You can't go from we've been horrible and horrible to like, oh, what's the next move? What do we do? What, do, what happens in free agency next year? It's just like, let's just enjoy winning games. I mean, even yesterday, you know, we're up to mid-fourth quarter, and I, I was texting my buddy, and I was like, even if we lose, this is still outstanding. So it's just nice. Uh, I'm completely with you. As far as the Nets go, all of a sudden they got all these fans, but they'll, they'll become Knicks fans in a couple of years. <laughs> This is the part of the show where Grump is banging his head against the wall since he has zero interest in basketball or baseball. So we'll get an EPB to bring him back into the show. So Grump, come on back. Well, I'm, I'm just waiting for us to get a guest on that likes hockey. But... Oh, I'll go on there. I... <laughs> Yo, th- you want to start a podcast, dude? <laughs> I'll get some lightning people on here with me. And I'll, I'll just bore the shit out of everybody who listens to this show. Um, but – you know, kind of in the same vein as, you know, the, the Knicks talk or whatever. I don't know how you do it, man. I, you cover the Knicks, Giants. Who else? I, I mean, I'm, my YouTube channel is like probably 85% Giants. And then it's, you know, 12% Knicks and like a sprinkle of Mets. I'm a big Mets fan as well. Yeah, I, I just don't know how you can. So like, you know, being a casual fan of, of sports altogether is one thing, but to do the the amount of work that goes behind, you know, really following a team and putting out content, you know, that that's, I don't know how you do it. That's crazy. It, it's, it, well, basketball, I mainly do the play-by-play. I do do, so in the off season, I do a lot of videos. Like I talk draft, I talk free agency. Um, Football is the most work because obviously it's a 53-man roster. Basketball is a 12-man roster. It's just not, you know. The video content with football, there's a lot more because there's a lot more to talk about. Um, but, yeah, this is the busiest time of year, believe it or not, for the Giants, um, at least in recent years. Hopefully we start to get better and, you know, in season there's a lot more to talk about. But in recent years you've kind of been, by midseason, you're thinking about the draft already. You've been doing – you've been covering the Giants on YouTube since, what, 2018? Yeah, I started 
about a month. I mean, I I took I started taking it seriously probably the the year we took Barkley, but not until the start of the season. So I didn't really do any YouTube content until that season after we took Barkley. Yeah, so you, you're a little bit – we started in 2017, but we were kind of trying to find our stride for like a whole year and a half anyway. So we were kind of the same. So in the same boat, this is the first time for both of us as like content creators that um, – I mean, at least speaking for, for us – this is the most exciting off season and coming off of the best season that we've been able to be doing in depth work on. Uh, how's that kind of been for you? I, you guys have a, you have a much bigger audience than we do, so I, what the reaction is and how the rest of the fans kind of feel about everything. Yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, I think this is going to be the first season since I've been on YouTube where going into the year, I'm thinking playoffs. Like I legitimately think we could go to the playoffs. I didn't feel that way last year. My message to the fans last year was. I said six to ten, um, but I said we're going to start off really slow like we did because of the <clears> pandemic, <throat> no training camp, new scheme on both sides of the ball, head coach who had never been a head coach before, Jones had to learn a new playbook, Barkley goes down after week one, so I knew that I just wanted to see progress as the year went along, and that's what we got, but going into this year, I think the Giants are all in, you know, I think they went out there, they were aggressive in free agency, you're going to have more experience on both sides of the bowl. They're going to be more acclimated to both schemes. The coaching staff is back almost entirely in terms of the main pieces. So there's continuity, there's more talent, and the young talent should be improving. So I don't think there's any excuses for this team not to win at least nine games next year. Well, I think I, – I definitely agree that they're all in. I think having the mentality of being all in and having, you know, the roster to be all in are two little different things. And I think we're, we're catching up to have the roster to be all in. I'm glad we're in an all in mentality where when you're in a rebuilding mentality, it's not the same, you know, you're still thinking about, you know, breaking in new guys. You're still thinking about roster reconstruction as opposed to roster refinement. Um, But now that you're thinking now we're in the mindset of playoffs you are making moves to refine. And I think that's where we are now. So being all in, in a mindset is great, but I still think we're about a year away from having that roster to say, this is a legitimate playoff team, you know, that can do damage, you know, down the road, you know, to really not just be a team that makes the playoffs because they're in NFC East, but to be a real playoff team. And we're almost there, but you're right. We're at the point now where we are in the mindset of, we are all in. That's the first important step. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm going into this year with Super Bowl expectations. Um, no, no, of course. I, not. I, I think we got it. I think we have a legitimate shot at the playoffs. And I, I think we mm-hmm. have a legitimate shot to win this division. And I think we have a legitimate shot to win 10 games. But, um, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to Daniel Jones. And you know what? If Daniel Jones goes out there and takes a huge leap with Barkley back healthy, getting Galladay, we'll talk about the draft. Maybe we had some pieces in the draft to help in there. Maybe the offensive line gets better. If Jones takes that Carson Wentz-like leap from year one to year two, from year two to year three, who knows what you got? You know, in the NFL, it's unpredictable. You can take huge leaps, but I got to see it first with Daniel Jones to believe it. Hey, let me ask you one one question kind of related. If you think we're a nine-win team this year and we haven't gone through our, you know, post-draft predictions, you know, once the, once the schedule comes out, do you think this is still a nine-win team if we're not in the NFC East? It's a great question. Um, you know, I actually think the NFC East this year is not going to be a joke. Last year it was a joke. I think Washington is going to be legit. I think their defense is legit. I think their offense improved. 
Um, not to mention last year, I think we all played a ridiculous schedule. And not to say our schedule this year is easy. It's not, but it's easier. Last year, we played the AFC North. You had three powerhouses in the AFC North. We played the NFC West, which was loaded. There was no easy opponents th- uh, there. This year, at least the South, the Falcons don't really scare me. The Panthers are okay. Uh, the Saints are without Breeze. They're still good. But And the West, who knows what you're going to have with Herbert and the Chargers. I think Herbert could regress with a new head coach. I'm actually hoping we get them earlier in the year. The Broncos, who knows what the hell is going on over there. So... <laughs> I think our schedule is soft. I'm not going to say it's soft, but I think it's softer this year. And I think the division as a whole, it's softer. Last year, yeah, we weren't good. The division as a whole was not good. But I think the fact that we played as hard of a schedule as we did, that added to it. I think had we played a middle-of-the-road schedule, you would have had an eight or nine-win team in our division. But I think Washington is going to be much better. I think the Giants are going to be much better. And I think Dallas is going to be much better because they got Dak back. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, I think getting lost in all the shuffle there was that um, three teams in the NFC East were dealing with new coaching staffs and the pandemic at the same time. Um, you know, I, I don't think personally much of Mike McCarthy, uh, but you know, he's not he's not a total idiot. And you know, Ron Rivera's got a track record in this league. He's he managed to right the ship in a probably the worst organization in the NFL um, with Dave Gedwin, by the way. <laughs> um, and uh, you know Philly I, I don't have any expectations for this year but last year I think a lot of it really just came down to just being hammered with injuries right away I, I don't think that that team completely falls apart the way they did if they don't have the injuries that they had right off the bat um, You know, they may even still have their head coach if that doesn't happen they might still have their quarterback if that doesn't happen so I agree with you I think, I think that coupled with a, a an easier schedule this year and, you know, a real offseason for these head coaches and stuff. I, I think the NFC East is going to be a lot less of a joke than it was last year. It was pretty much an ongoing joke last year. And real offseason for rookies that are coming in because, you know, we were relying on a lot of young talent last year and they were just thrown into the fire. They didn't have the offseason program. They didn't have the chance to sit one-on-one with coaches. They had no OTAs. It was just... You know, that's why I think the criticism you saw from the offensive linemen, like Andrew Thomas, was completely unfair. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, go out there and play, you know, and, and just do your best. And you could see the improvement from September to December because they got used to being in the NFL. That's that's 100 percent accurate. And I know Giants fans don't want to hear that, that are impatient, but that is the way that you should want it to you thinking about it. And, yeah, I'm completely on board with you guys. I mean, you look at last year. I think there was maybe six new head coaches in the NFL. Three were, were within our division. And you couple the fact that with the pandemic, you didn't have a training camp. Well, you're at a disadvantage there. If you have a new coach that's trying to bring in a new scheme and everything else, new whole coaching staff. So I do think the NFC was at a major disadvantage between the scheduling, the pandemic, everything else. I I'm, a, I'm a, I guess I'm going to have a bold prediction. I think we're going to be looked at as an average division this year. And I could easily see two teams make the playoffs out of our division. I could see that. I could see that. Um, so, what do you think of? Well, I, I think we we both agree that last off season was a home run for Dave Gettleman, right? I don't I don't think that there was a a real misstep in any of the free agent signings that none of the major ones anyway, and um, you know the draft seemed like a home run as well. Uh, what about this year? I mean, they like you said they they really went out and they spent money. How do you feel about them? Because they're they they spent big. They kind of backloaded some contracts. They didn't really have a choice with the with the cap the way that it is. But also, they got two guys who have 
some serious injury history, at least something to be concerned about. How do you feel about that? Yeah, no, they, they definitely took some risks uh, this offseason. The one thing I'll say that I like, uh, I'll start off by saying that the, the contracts, for the most part, are shorter. They're not like 2016 when we signed two guys to five-year deals. I think we signed another guy to a four-year deal. Um, so the, the contracts were shorter. I know Galladay's four years, but they could easily get out after three. Uh, the Adore Jackson is three. They could probably get out after two. Um, but, yeah, they're definitely injury risks. Now, had there not been a pandemic, I would have been preaching, you have got to be aggressive this offseason. And it, it's a simple reason why. Daniel Jones is still on his rookie contract. This is the time to do it. You can't sit on your hands and wait the whole time and just not not start to accelerate the process. Because if you keep waiting, well, then you're going to have to pay Daniel Jones $40 million a year, and you would have wasted your opportunity to try to capitalize while he was on his rookie salary. So I completely understand why the New York Giants were aggressive this offseason. I think the fact that you had the pandemic, it was just bad luck for the Giants that this was kind of the offseason that they had to try to accelerate the pro- uh, the process. But, yeah, they took risks. I mean, Kenny Gallaudet had an injury last year. Adore Jackson's had injury history. I do like that they filled those two needs. I think those were the two biggest needs on this football team going into the draft. And if they stay healthy, I think they're going to be huge additions. But, yeah, it's a risk. Um, but I actually applaud the Giants for being aggressive this offseason. I, I think it was the right decision. I, I felt like it was smart aggression because, you know, they didn't sign guys that were like, 32 and 33 years old who are just, you're, you're buying names. We didn't do that. To your point, we didn't sign into these huge long-term contracts. So to me, it was, it was being aggressive, but it was disciplined aggression. And I think that's what we need to do right now. And we didn't mortgage the future for this, you know, all in mentality that we, we mentioned before. I think it was, it's nuanced and it's measured and it's the jumpstart that we needed at the right time. We've been, Shedding cap space for years. We've been drafting smartly the last couple of years. Now you augment with free agency, and we did it the smart way. So, you know, the next step is Thursday with the draft, and then repeat the cycle next year and see where we're at. Yep. Can't wait. So you said that the wide receiver and corner were probably your two biggest needs for this team going into free agency. Now that they've kind of uh, dropped off a Brinks truck and and handled a little (laughs) bit of that, Going into Thursday, which this is airing on Wednesday morning, so going into tomorrow, what uh, what do you think is the biggest need going into this weekend? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, uh, as far as the corner and wide receiver, I was preaching get a corner, get a corner, get a corner, get a corner. Um, and I had that far and away my biggest need going into the offseason until the last three or four weeks. And then I saw how poor this wide receiver court truly was. And then I kind of was like, even like, I'm like, all right, we need a high end wide receiver, but we definitely need a corner. You saw Isaac Yadam, the type of defensive scheme that we run. I think you need solid corner play to be able to play man press, to be able to send blitzes. I don't think we blitzed nearly as much. Um, and I don't think we were as aggressive as the New York Giants wanted to be. And Patrick Graham wanted to be because of that liability that we had at the second cornerback spot. So I think by adding that, I think the Giants are going to be much more aggressive this year on defense, which I'm looking forward to. But as of now, after they did that, and then they made another, another uh, a bunch of other signings that I liked. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, I thought, was an under-the-radar under signing that I didn't see coming that I thought was a good move. Um, you know, a bunch of other small signings, Afedia Denebo, uh, the Raglan, the middle linebacker, I thought was a solid signing. But as far as now going into the draft, right now, if you, if we're just talking need. I think it's got to be the interior offensive line. I mean... We lost Kevin Zeitler, who was our most accomplished offensive lineman. And people, you know, a lot of fans that just want to think about the toys, fantasy stats, wide receivers, edge rusher. 
they just want to sweep that under the rug. They're like, oh, you could just get another fatty. They'll be fine. You know, we lose Zeitler. Last year, I like Gates, but I'm not completely sold on him yet. But I, I like Gates. But the guards, I mean, Shane Lemieux gave up five sacks from the guard position in eight games worth of starts. I mean, that's pitiful. I mean, he was horrible uh, in terms of pass protection. Hernandez, they didn't show a lot of trust in. I like Thomas. I think Thomas is going to take a big step this year, but he's still a question mark. And Matt Parrott, who knows what we got? He's got upside. But right now, the offensive line as a whole, and I would I would kind of center it on the interior offensive line, I think is our biggest need. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to take it in the first, but I think it's our biggest need. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think you can't walk out of this weekend without – I don't think you can walk out of day two without addressing it somewhere. I mean somebody – somebody's got to be going in there coming coming out of this weekend in a competition for starting reps. Probably more so on the right side I would think. You know, like you said, filling in that Kevin Zeitler spot. But it also concerns me that neither Will Hernandez or Shane Lemieux has ever played on the right side as far as I know. Um, I believe Lemieux was – Every year at Oregon was on the left side, and I, I'm pretty sure the same is true for Will Hernandez at UTEP. So, you know, obviously that's a great that's point some, that you bring. That's a great point you bring up. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, these guys are veterans and they they can work, and they've got an O line coach that will help them with that sort of thing. But I just more comfortable if you're going to throw somebody in there, throw someone in there who's you know, you don't have to worry about telling them the kick step. You know what I mean? Like, just get in there and start working on schemes and things like that. Um, is there anybody in particular that you're that you're enamored with for that that interior position? Yeah, I mean, in the first round, I think it's obvious. I think it's the guy that everybody talks about, and that's Rashawn Slater. Um, and if not him, I guess Elijah Vera Tucker would be my second option. Um, I love Slater. I I I don't think he's going to be there though. You know, I, I think Slater's going to go top seven, top eight. I'm hoping he drops, but if he doesn't, I could see them taking Vera Tucker, but that's probably not where they're going to go. If you're talking later in the draft, I mean, Wyatt Davis is obviously the popular name everybody brings up out of Ohio State, the guard. Creed Humphrey's a guy I'd be interested in the second round, the center prospect. Ben Cleveland's more of a third-round guy. Um, And another guy I really like when I did some research is um, the guy from Illinois, Kendrick Green, who actually had a ridiculous pro day. He ran a 4.85.40 time. He's great at getting to the second level. He could play some center as well. That's a guy I would love. I wouldn't even be upset if the Giants took him in the second round. I'm a big fan of Kendrick Green. Yeah, it's interesting. You you brought up Kendrick Green as a, somebody who's only just recently started gaining some steam. Yeah, this such a weird offseason with no combine again, and and you know the pro days, you know, forty times are kind of who knows how true they are and whatever. But yeah, he's a name that is just starting to gain momentum. Um, it's interesting, though, that you, you also view Slater as a guard. I, I know I had that opinion. I view him as a tackle, but I think he'd play guard to start with the mm-hmm. ability to move the tackle. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I just – I know that's an unpopular opinion, uh, you know, among top analysts, you know, random people on Twitter. Uh, so I, I just think it's interesting you, you view him the same way. Um, but I, I think he could probably play all five spots on the line, to be honest. Um. And, and don't yeah, underestimate that's, that's the value awesome. of doing that either, especially in today's NFL where these guys are getting hurt so much and everything, and you need to have a you know, a Swiss Army knife who can fit, fill in anywhere, spot, start, back up, anything. That's, that value is worth his weight in gold as it is. Listen, if he's there on draft night when we're picking, I'm going to be crying for him. I'm, I, I think Rashawn Slater would be a perfect fit. we got a coach that talks about positional versatility. It's what he'd bring. And may, he, he may very well start on the right side. You know, at, at the right tackle, if they don't feel paired to the guy, 
but they've, they've expressed a lot of confidence in Parrott, and we'll see if Parrott actually gets the opportunity. But at a bare minimum, you can move him over to the guard, and a lot of people say, well, it's too early to pick a guard, but those same people cry that we didn't take a guard with Quentin Nelson in 2018. Um, you know, <laughs> so I, I, I would have no issue if he played guard. Just give me an old pro lineman. I'm happy. I mean, I remember this time last year, we were saying when they drafted Parrott, like, oh, he's a project. This is some guy we're going to, you know, they're going to have to bring along slowly, and he's, he's a developmental project. And after one year when we have no offseason, all of a sudden now it's like we don't know if he can do the job. It's, it's strange how, you know, the, we want it now, and we don't have the patience we say we have when things happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just have fans last year that said that saw that we took three offensive linemen, and they're just like, oh, it's done then. We're good. You took a guy. Yeah. You took a guy basically in the fourth round. It was the 99th overall pick. It was a comp pick, and you took a guy in the fifth round. I mean, a fifth round guard is. If you looked at the history of fifth round guards, most of them probably don't last in the league past their rookie contract, and the ones that do, the majority of them are probably depth linemen. So to bank on those guys being starters, I think, is short sighted. It's not the seven blocks of granite we just uh, drafted. No. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So you would be you'd be screaming for Rayshon Slater if he's on the board at eleven. Um, is there anybody that's a I don't want to say popular, but a, a name that's been spinning around Twitter that they could pick at eleven that you'd actually be pretty disappointed in? Yeah. Um, first off, the guy I think we're going to take is Devontae Smith. I've thought that since December. I've thought that since January. Even during the you know when you saw everybody taking him like third overall during the uh, I, I always thought he was going to drop, and I could be wrong. But in the end, I think that's going to be the Giants guy. I don't think Slater will be on the board. But in terms of guys that I'd be disappointed with, I'm not going to flip out. I'm not going to flip out because I trust the coaching staff. I trust Judge. um, And I trust Gettleman. I I think they work well together. So whoever we take, I'm going to trust that they could get the most out of the guy. But what what am I hoping they do not do? One, unless they're going to trade down, I don't want them taking an edge rusher. I don't think there's an edge rusher that warrants the 11th pick. Some people may argue Jalen Phillips. That guy's one concussion away from retiring. He's uh, off my board. I don't I don't want him. In his second round, I'll talk about it, but not in the first round. Um, I think Aziz Oljolari actually fits the scheme the best out of any edge rusher in this class, but I think 11's way too early. Uh, Pay I like, but I would have been more interested in him if we didn't bring back Leonard Williams. Because I feel like he'd fill that kind of role. I know Quiddy Pay weighs only 265, but he's never played that stand-up outside linebacker. So I don't want an edge. Unless we trade down. If we trade down to 15, 20, whatever. I don't want an edge. And I don't want a corner. And, I, and I'm a big corner guy. Uh, like I said, I thought corner was our biggest need going into the offseason. But if you're going to draft, you know, and you started to hear about J.C. Horn, you started to hear about Patrick Sertan... If you're going to draft one of these guys, why did you spend $13 million a year on Adore Jackson? Why didn't you spend $13 million on an offensive lineman to try to fill in another hole if you thought you were going to be taking a corner in the first round? Why didn't you spend $13 million on an edge rusher? I I understand that he could play the slot and he could help you in coverage and maybe long-term you can move him to the outside. But to me, I think there's more pressing needs on this team right now. I think the secondary is actually our strength. Unless you feel J.C. Owen is Darrell Revis, I don't want him at eleven. Yeah, that's interesting because um, <clears throat> I, I kind of feel the same way. I've been watching J.C. Horn very, very closely since the beginning of this college season. Uh, he was on my, like, I have, like, a short list of guys going going into the, the college season that I kind of keep my eye on, and he was on it. 
And I was like, you know, the, he. I watched his tape the last year, and I think if he does certain things, he can really rise up some draft boards. And Jesus, I was right. So, um, I actually, I really like Horn, but I see what you're saying. My my thing with Corner is that it's one of those things that even the best prospects and and the the highest drafted ones they can really struggle in their first year. It can take a little while for corners to get started. Look last so, year, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every year. I think every year there's a first-round draft pick corner that just doesn't make it. Um, and I think maybe getting one – and I'm not saying that they should do this or, you know, if they trade down or, or whatever. Obviously, there's there's other scenarios in which I'd probably be more and more okay with it. But if they did take Horn and they, or, or Sertain and they kind of just gave him some, some reps here and there, maybe in the slot or, or just some scheme fit things and just depth – uh, and let him grow into that starting role, you know, might be a, a better idea than waiting until, you know, James Bradbury's contract is expiring or, or whatever, uh, and just drafting a guy and telling him to go out there and play. So I, I don't know. I can kind of see it. And it's been corner's been the the thing that's been gaining steam. I would say in the last two weeks, right? Um, and it it it's kind of bothered me too. But I definitely agree with you. About the edge rusher, there there is not an edge rusher in this class that uh, that I would take at eleven. Jalen Phillips, even if he didn't have the medical history, I think he's good. I think he's he's you know he's got all the things that you want, but he's still even at his last year's production at Miami. I don't think that he's an eleventh overall pick at edge. In my opinion, I think he's good. I think he's probably around seventeen, eighteen, yeah. even without the medical. So. And the other thing I'll say, and I've always said it, and and I know Giants fans prioritize the edge for good reason. That's what these defenses have been built around in the past when we were good. But the current defense we have, I think it's built more around scheme and coverage. And I think last year proved it. We were top 10 in sacks. We were top six in knockdowns. We were top eight in pressures. And that was with Carter out. And that was with Zimenez out. So to me, with that roster. So to me, it's like, I. I would actually in I probably and I, I don't want the corner. I'm not gonna flip if we do it because like you said, I understand it. You're molding him into that guy that could eventually replace James Bradbury or replace Adore Jackson. And this scheme needs very strong corner play. So I understand it. I would understand it more than taking an edge in this draft class, because I don't think there is an edge that com- comes close to warranting that eleventh overall selection. I think Horn and um, obviously, certain do. I just don't think it's our one of our top five biggest needs. Yeah, I actually think if either one of those guys are on the board, our, the phone is probably ringing in the war room from some other team anyway. Um, I actually have a theory behind that, and I want to get your guys' take on this. Mm-hmm. The Giants have started to leak, or supposedly started to leak, that they have an interest in J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan. Here and there, you've heard it. Do you? My personal belief is the reason they did that is so if a team that wants a cornerback behind them jumps them and takes that corner, and one of the prospects they really want may drop to eleven. Absolutely, that, absolutely. I, that, that's absolutely yeah. that makes total sense to Complete me. Complete sense, yeah. The the question is going to be, and I think that there's a plethora of guys there that they hope that they're okay with falling. Whether it is Slater, whether it is Devontae Smith, whether it's Jalen Waddle, I'd be I'd be thrilled. I love him. Um, yeah, and you know, a cranky fan is over here. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't need any blue chew for uh, 
Kyle Pitts to fall. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, you know, and the interesting thing about Kyle Pitts to me is, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a shot in hell that Kyle Pitts gets out of the top ten. But I think the tight end room is one of the sneaky positions on this team that isn't very good. And we've just kind of – and bringing Kyle Rudolph I think was a smart idea. It was a good idea. But in general, it's just like we got this conglomerate of guys that all have kind of different skill sets. that They just kind of brought everybody in there and they're going to let them duke it out in training camp and keep whoever they keep. There's really – there's no real guy there. And, you know, I don't know. I think I just think it's a position group on this team that isn't very good and isn't being talked about. What do you mean we got a pro bowler? That's oh, right. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding with you. No, I, I get what you're saying there. I, I don't for this year. I don't hate the tight end group. I, like you said, I don't think we have a star at all. The problem I see with that group is I don't see a long term answer. Like, oh, definitely. Like no. Ingram, as much as I don't like Ingram, as much as every giant fan wants him off the team. I think Ingram could be pretty good next year for one more year. If you bring in another weapon and he's not asked, he's like the fourth option in the passing game. Uh, I think Rudolph could help in blocking. I think he could help in the red zone. I'm not too worried about the tight end group for 2021, but I am for the future. I don't think we have a long-term answer on this team. Yeah, I agree with you completely about uh, about Ingram because I think a lot of his stuff is psychological. And I think being relied on as being the number one receiver, I think it impacted him. You know, in the biggest – when the spotlight was brightest and the key spots in games – he was most unreliable. I think now that we've gotten a true number one receiver, we'll see what happens in the draft. If he becomes a third option or even a fourth option, I think that pressure's off him. I think you'll see a much better year out of him. Um, to me, you know, I want one of these tight ends who can block. I mean, if we're we're worrying about this offensive line until it's completely fortified, you know, it's this year, next year, whenever it is, I want another blocking. It's somebody who can chip off the end, somebody who can do anything to help this line out and. That's what I'm concerned right now about this about the, about the tight ends, probably as much, if not more so, than their ability to catch the ball and make plays. Yeah, that's I, that's fair. Um, you know, I think Caden Smith's a decent blocker, but you don't even know if he's going to be on the roster now after mm-hmm. they brought back Levine Toyolo, who's supposed to be a decent blocker. I don't know how good he is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I mean, maybe a guy like Tommy Tremble, but I feel like it's probably too early to take a tight end for us. Yeah, I actually just – uh, did a mock draft while I was in between stuff at the gym, and uh, Pat Fryermuth fell to the second round for me, and I just like I think I'm going to take him. <laughs> so you know that would that would be an interesting one. I that's somebody that I think you could build a future around. I just don't know that it's a smart pick. See, I, I get so torn because the draft is not necessarily supposed to be. You don't pick those guys to win that year. You know yeah. what I mean? You you kind of do, but I think also, first round. Is I first round? I think you, it's more for this year. But once you get past first round, definitely once you get into the third round, I'm not even thinking about 2021. I'm thinking long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except for yeah, offensive line, I wouldn't draft for offensive line for this year. I mean, that's yeah. a little bit more of a longer term investment. But any other position, you're right. That's a that's a piece I need for the now. Offensive yeah. line, you're getting a foundation guy, but that's a long term investment. With you know the the returns going to be a little later on. Yeah, kind of like a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I think the deepest position in the draft is uh, probably wide receiver in terms of uh, talent. You know, I, I I think you could 
every single time I do a mock draft, and, and, and they're bullshit, you know what I mean? It's all just kind of guessing anyway. But every single time I do a mock draft, there's guys that I really like in the third round, fourth round. Could you see the Giants doubling up? Because, I mean, even with getting Kenny Galladay, they lost Golden Tate, so now you've really got Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, who, by the way, has an early out after this this uh, this year in his contract. Darius Slayton, um, who is on the last year of his rookie contract this year. And then beyond that, you have Dante Pettis and John Ross, who are both on one-year deals, I think. I'm pretty sure. But either yep. way, both of those guys are kind of depth guys anyway. Could you see them doubling up if they took Devontae Smith, for instance, in the first round, uh, and then maybe somebody else maybe in the third, fourth round? Um, yeah, I, I definitely could. Uh, maybe the I, I would probably say the fourth is where I could see it. I don't think they do it in the third. I would say they I would lean they probably wouldn't, but I would would I be shocked? No. I mean, we only have six picks, which is why I don't know if they would do it because we have other needs on this team. But I wouldn't be shocked because, like you said, Shepard, contract aside, that guy's one concussion away from retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, Slayton, we don't know what we have yet. I know Giants fans seem to be in love with this guy. And, you know, when you say anything about him, they go crazy. Um, <laughs> and the rest of the league is like, Oh, yeah. okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I and I like Slayton, and I actually think Slayton, if he's not getting number one coverage this year with better options, with Barkley back, could take a step, but we don't know that. It's not conclusive. He's a fifth-round pick. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, one guy, I like Amon Ron St. Brown. He's a third- or fourth-round guy. There's plenty, even though he has drop problems, but there's plenty in that three- or four-round area. The guy from North Texas, I don't know why his name's escaped me right now. I like him a lot. Um but, there, yeah, there, there's plenty of wide receivers that you could get in that 3-4 round area that, um, yeah, I could see him doubling up. But right now, the way I look at it, if we go wide receiver in the first, I think we're either going into your offensive line in the ed- or edge in the second and third round. So mm-hmm. maybe into your offensive line, then edge in the third, unless you're completely in love with the prospect. Like, say Caleb Forley drops because of his injury concerns, and you love him at 42, maybe do something like that. But that's kind of where my head's at right now. And that's something you did with the Gettleman Project this year, right? Is you kind of uh, – you did mock drafts, but you did different position groups at 11 overall and then seeing how the, the draft kind of unfolds off of that, right? Yeah. I, I do that every year. Yeah. I, I think that's really cool because that's kind of how I think too is, you know, when you're not picking in the top five like we have been for the last couple of years, but you kind of have to adjust your draft plans based on who falls to you. So – you know, it's it's good to work out those scenarios. If this guy's gone, what position group am I kind of going to target here? And you know, am I reaching if I go for this guy just because it's a need? Uh, I thought that was a really cool, um, I, I don't know, assignment or whatever that that you were that were you doing there. That was that I was interesting. It. I appreciate it. I mean, we're, you look at you look at last year. You could have probably said we didn't desperately need a safety because a lot of people thought Julian Love was going to be the guy, but McKinney was there and we took him. So yeah. I, I, it could be something like that in the second round. Like like I said, I just threw out a random name, but Caleb Farley, he's there. Or Phillips, he's there. Or Rousseau, who I don't love, but in the second round, whatever. There may be a guy there that, well, that's kind of an edge, which I expect. But there may be a guy there that's a corner that you can't pass up. There may be a guy there that's a, maybe another offensive lineman, and you double up that you can't pass up. So you ne- you could never pencil in like what position you think they're going to take in which round for sure because – there may be a guy that drops there that they have twenty spots higher on their, you know, on their on their draft chart. We're in a this is what year four of the Gettleman regime. Yeah. Overall, how are you with him? What's your 
<laughs> I, I have fun, I have fun with Gettleman because, the, especially when you go on Twitter, like people hate this guy. Yeah, and, oh, I know from day and, one. And I and I get it. He's got the Boston accent. And the one thing I love about Gettleman is he doesn't care. Like he 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 he's just gonna do what he wants to do. He's not gonna let the fan be, and that's what you should have, by the way. He plays not, into it. Yeah, whether or not he makes the right moves is you know that's up for us to decide as fans. You know whether or not we agree with it. But you should never have a man at the top that is scared to make decisions, and you should never have a man at the top that the fan base is going to influence him on the on the moves that he makes. And that is certainly not the case. Because if the fan base influenced with the moves that he made, he would have never traded Odell Beckham. Uh, he would have never tra- drafted Daniel Jones. So this guy does – that's one thing I give him credit for. He does what he thinks needs to be done. Um, and I love the way – I love his uh, ideology. I'm not necessarily saying that he's come through on it, but I, I, I am a strong believer in building in the trenches out. Um, and that's why I was very happy when he became the GM, because you heard all the hog mollies this, hog mollies that. Of course, Nate Solder didn't work. Of course, up to this point, it looks like Will Hernandez hasn't worked. But I do agree with his fundamentals that you build from the offensive line out. Yeah, but also, nobody, I don't know anybody that didn't applaud the Will Hernandez pick when it was made. Same thing for Nate Solder, really, when yeah. he signed him. Yeah. I'm convinced well, he was I was convinced he was hurt in 2019. That's why he had so many problems. And then last year took a COVID year, which, which you know, I'm surprised more people didn't do that. So, I, you know, you had to overspend to get a left tackle the time we did. I mean, it doesn't matter if it was Nate Solder or Jesus Christ's left tackle. You're going to spend a lot of money in that position because that was a desperate position of need. And that first year he played a lot better. I mean, obviously, 2019 was a problem. But again, I still think he was hurt. And yeah, you just well, watch every, the tape. Everybody forgets Solder the first. And and by the way, Solder was one of those signings when we made it. You knew they overpaid. It was like, okay, we're going to get B level production for an A level price. But you were like, okay, we need a exactly. left tackle. He's the best available left tackle. I completely understand this signing. I'm completely on board with the signing because Eli Manning is going to get killed if we don't do it. So you were like, all right, we got an average to slightly above average left tackle. We paid him as if he was the best. But that's what happens in free agency. Kenny Galladay, probably not the best receiver in football, but you paid him A-level prices. Um, so I completely understood the signing. I was completely on board with the signing. Didn't work out. His first year here, though, like you said, first eight games, he sucked. Second eight games, I think he only let it one sack. He actually played much better. Mm-hmm. Then he had the thing with his kid, and then he had the COVID year. So it is what it is. You know, you don't hit on every one of your signings. But that's the one thing I sometimes I can't stand about Giants fans. Like, they expect the GM to hit on everything. And the situation that he inherited, you got to give him some leeway. Um, so that, well, that's, that's the thing. A, you yeah. just hit it right there. Giant fans don't understand what was really inherited. You know, because, yeah. again, we, we, we talk about this all the time, Grump and I, and we, we talked about it earlier in the week, too, that, you know, from the mares down, they had this belief that they could still win with Eli Manning up until the very end, and they didn't really commence the rebuild at the right time to do it because they thought they still had one more shot. Yep. And, you know, you know, there's a lot of Giant fans out there. You know, if you see the average Giant fan in the parking lot at the Meadowlands or something, and he's like, oh, yeah, Eli, Super Bowls, defense, LT, baby, yeah. It's just they go right to those. You know, the glory, the, the glory quick days. headlines of what it is to be a yeah. Giant fan. And it's like, yeah, we all love Eli, but we loved 2011 playoff Eli. We didn't necessarily love 2017 Eli anymore, but, you know, the I, I still I still love them. Oh, but, I, I love him as a person, yeah. but 
Yeah. No, 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 no. I, we should have started in, ret- in in hindsight. We should have started the rebuild. We, we really should have started. I'll tell you when we should have started the rebuild. When we fired Tom Coughlin, we should have fired Jerry Reese and we should have started over. That's what should have happened. Yeah. Uh, but Agreed. it didn't happen. Yeah. And I would say that they, they, they were the one that, from the top down ruined this team uh, starting in 2012. The, the the drafts from 2012 on were just miss after miss after miss, um, and you know you can quibble over whether it was Jerry Reese's or Mark Ross's fault, but I you know whatever. Who's the last Who's the last first round pick we've resigned to a second contract? First round pick, Beckham, oh, Odell Beckham, and then we yeah. traded him. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. Yeah, um, yeah. The other thing, like you said, Giants fans gave Dave Gettleman just enough rope. To hang himself with, um, but you know they, they all clamor for for you know Bill Belichick and, and Nick Casario is like another one where Giants fans are like I want him to be the next GM as if they've never really paid attention to a Patriots draft. The Patriots do not draft well. That is a fallacy. They do some weird shit. Nick but... Nick Casario and I I could talk about this for days because I'm passionate about Gettleman when I get into this stuff. But Nick Casario. Is the same guy. If Dave Gettleman would have done this, Giants fans might have they might have stormed the castle. Nick Casario traded a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu. Or he, I'm not, you know, he was at least partially responsible for it. He was Belichick's right hand man. And then he goes over to Houston and the guy starts making ridiculous trade after ridiculous trade. If he became the Giants GM, people would have exploded. And you know, you, you know what it is, man. I think a lot of Giants fans, they just they're impatient and and they want immediate results and they don't realize the ramifications. If you fire Dave Gettleman, what that's going to do for everybody else on this team. Like you, you have, you have giants fans. They'll come into my streams or they'll watch my videos. They'll be like, I love Daniel Jones, but Dave Gettleman's got to go. What do you think is going to happen to Daniel Jones? If Dave Gettleman goes, Oh yeah. Believe me. What do you think is going to happen to Joe judge? If Dave Gettleman goes, so you always want that. You always want stability. That should always be the goal. Oh, absolutely. Stability is what separates organizations like the Jets from the rest of the league. When you turn over every three, four years, you are just starting at start every time. You just keep walking back to the starting line and start going. You're just perpetually behind the rest of the league until you manage to capture lightning in a bottle, which they kind of sort of did with Rex Ryan for like two years, and and that all fell apart. I mean... Especially when you start, re, you know, flipping and flipping when you don't have your GM and your coach on the same cycle. So it's like, well, you know, this GM, he, this is not his man. You know, this is not his coach. And this coach is coming in, you know, the new guy. And all of a sudden he gets more clout in the old GM. And, and they're never in sync. It's That's what bad teams do. It's, like, it's uh, what the Eagles just did. Exactly. Oh, the Eagles, I, I, I feel bad for that guy. I forget his name. Was it Nick Sirianni or something like that? Oh, Sirianni, yeah. Yeah. I feel bad. They are setting him up for absolute failure. Yeah. I, 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 kind of like we did for Shermer, if we're being fair. I don't like yeah. Shermer, but kind of like what we did for Shermer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I I will be stunned if, if the Eagles do anything of any value this year, uh, just based off of what I've seen so far. They may be and, the worst and, team in the league this year. They have, they, they have a potential for it. They'll yeah. be up there. Um. Too bad. I I, I, <laughs> I I will shed no tears for Philadelphia. Anything. Yeah. Um. 
I I agree with you though. I think that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman are of the same mind. I think that's a really good match right there. You know, I had some questions about Joe Judge, uh, and a lot of them got answered right from his first press conference. And you know, I'm one of those people who I don't care about optics that much. Um, but there is a world of difference between a Joe Judge press conference from a Pat Shermer one from a Ben McAdoo one. Oh, and you could tell right away that Joe Judge walks in a room and he everybody's listening. You know, it's just he commands a room really well. He's got like like you said, like a like minded philosophy with Dave Gettleman about you know just getting the foundation correct and then building from there. And you start in the trenches and you just beat people up. You play football. You don't tell me what a guy can't do. You tell me what I can do with him. And you make it work. And, I mean, is there a single misstep that you think that you saw from Joe Judge? I'm, And I'm not trying to be like a homer or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. I'm really, really racking my mind at anything that Joe Judge did that I questioned. And the only thing I can think of is I didn't see any bad results from it, but maybe the cycling of the offensive line was a little strange. I'll say one more thing. That and I, and, I'm, and again, I'm trying to be nitpicky because I love Joe Judge. I thought he was I thought he was great last year as a head coach. Um, and the one thing I really love about Joe Judge is the kind of the same thing that I loved about Eli Manning is that he, he don't care. And same thing with Gettleman, he don't care. Like people were talking about how he was having players practice in the mud, the tennis balls, all that. He didn't care. He's going to do it his way. He's he's going to zone you know zone that out. But the one thing that I I, I could say one I thought he was severely coached in, out out coached in the Arizona game. I thought the Giants came out incredibly not prepared for that game. And I thought that he brought Daniel Jones back before he should have. Mm, from the injury. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think of that. I think, you know, and I hate to be excusing of everything that happened last year, but I'm always going to give a little – last year was so crazy, you know, with COVID and, you know, guys getting sick and out and just protocols, you know, that to keep over a 17-week season – the focus you need to be to be prepared every single week. So a game when they, you know, when they lay a turd like the Arizona game, it's going to happen. I mean, if we went back and looked at all 32 teams, you could probably say, you know, this team had it this week. This team did it this week. So yeah. the fact that it was minimized to like one game, you're like, well, it was that Arizona game. That to me is a win in a year that it was last year where it was very, very difficult to keep your focus mentally and physically over the, the entire time. Um, I like Judge because he's got that one thing which I love in coaches, managers, whatever sport it is. They have a plan. You can tell like somewhere they have in their office, they have a binder, which is like 800 pages. And it is a plan to win. And it has the detail for every single thing you need to do from 6 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night from August 1st to January 31st. You know, guys like. Belichick, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, they all have that. Like, even to what they say in the first press conference, to how they're prepared, to when they get fired up on the, on the sideline, to what's going on, everything is part of an overall plan. And guys like Ben McAdoo, guys like Pat Shermer, guys that we've had in the past, never had a cohesive plan of what they, knowing what they are and what we want to do. And... This guy, even though he doesn't have the experience, not the ring name recognition, he's been tutored from the best, and you can see that he has a plan. And it doesn't mean that plan means we have to be 100% ready to be Super Bowl champs in week one of year one, or year one be Super Bowl champ, but we are building towards something. And I feel with a guy like Joe Judge that this is all building towards a master plan, and 
he's comfortable because he knows where he is in that plan. And that's to your point of not listening to what other people say. He's good where we are right now. So that's why I like him. You hit it on the head, man. That's Joe Judge to a tease. Well thought out. Everything's planned out. All you got to do is look at his coaching staff. I mean, every guy that he's brought in outside of Garrett, he has ties to for the most part in Colombo, who was a Garrett guy. But he he has ties to him. These are guys that he came up with his entire career, um, you know, ascending through the coaching ranks. And he's got ties to every single one of them. Uh, Every player they've brought in, for the most part, in some way, shape, or form, has a tie to whether it be Patrick Graham with the Green Bay linebackers, with Fackrell and um, Blake Martinez. Everything has been thought out. Everything's, he's always got a plan. You could tell that he's very well prepared. And it's it's a better executed plan than like the last regime because Betcher brought in his guys who are all just washed up. Where Graham is bringing in guys that are, you know, ascendancy or at the peak of their career now. So they not only do they know what he wants to run, but he can actually run it as opposed to having a bunch of fossils running around. Who you know just reminded me, run. by the way, you I'm just sorry. reminded me something I put on Twitter today that I, I you know, you get all these people on Twitter that say, oh, Gettleman deserves no credit because judge judges, the guy. That's uh, making the move. Yes. You just, you, just, you, Jesus. Just, you just reminded me and I, I tweeted it this week. Like people act like this is a new thing. Like, he was bringing in Cardinals for Betcher. Like, he's always brought in players that fit the coach's mentality. So this is never – he's always worked with them. That's just, what we want, though. I, that's, of course that's what you want. Yeah, you want we're to, all it, saying we all love Gettleman because, oh, you know, now, oh, look, you know, with Joe Judge, he brought in Joe Judge's type of guys, and that's what he wants to do. He's fitting his scheme. They're working well together. Yeah, he does that with – you know, he's done that in the past also. It's just the problem was those players and those weren't NFL sucked. players anymore. And those yeah. coaches sucked. But yeah, I mean, we all know that Gettleman's just a shadow puppet for a, a head coach with no coaching experience in any level. And this just <laughs> let him run, you know, an NFL team. We all know that's really the case. Yeah. Pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain. It's, it's really <laughs> Joe Judge. <laughs> so uh, Governor Murphy has, as of April, lifted uh, crowds of over 1,000 to 50% capacity or whatever. Whatever. Um, you're planning on going to Giants games this year? Well, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, that was only, that's a, yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. It's fifty percent now. It's fifty percent, and in Massachusetts, it will be a hundred percent. That's great. Um, yes, I um, the year before, I I don't have Giants season tickets, but I always try to go to at least one Giant game, and I and I've talked about it in the past that I want to try to do one home, one away, and try to organize, you know, meetups with my subscribers, other Giants mm. creators, whatever. Um, and this year, I'm actually gonna have a massive tailgate plan. So yeah, I'm definitely going. Um, to at least one home, I may go to an away as well, and I'm going to go to training camp. Hell yeah, man! You're going to have to hit us up because we go to we go to away games all the time. So yeah, well, we, 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 we can hook up with a ticket for a home game. We're, we're definitely going to Tampa. We're definitely going to New Orleans. Definitely going to Miami. Um, they play. They play at Tampa. Yes. Yes, they do. I'm in. And well, 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 Tampa or Miami, one or the other. I'm in. Oh, both. What's this one or the other nonsense? <laughs> See, what the hope is, because I'm a big Florida Gator, and the hope is that it's the same weekend because Florida's playing at USF at Raymond James, September 11th. So if you look at the schedule, that's the same weekend as opening weekend for the NFL. Now, the Bucks will host the Thursday night game because they're Super Bowl champs. What's a pretty good TV matchup? They're not going to throw a division game in there. Giants versus Brady? Hmm. Be a pretty, pretty sexy matchup. 
Delicious, huh? And the the other hope is that the Miami game is in like is like December thirtieth or something, so I don't have to be at MetLife. I can be on a bombing exactly. beach on Saturday, on Sunday morning even, and then just kind of wander over to the stadium. So even if we're even if we're six and nine, at least we'll have a nice sunny day in uh, in South Florida. <laughs> it, it, that that I mean, it was the extra game added on, so maybe that's what they'll do. Um, that is such a good uh, storyline as well, by the way. The two former coaches going at it, they both came up with the New England Patriots. That, I, I think we kind of constructed our team the way that they did. So I think I think that's a really good matchup, the uh, Dolphins and the Giants. Yeah, that's what I we, think we talked about that with Steffi uh, yesterday, but that – whatever. That that episode aired on Tuesday morning. Uh, we, we talked yeah. about how those two teams are developing and uh, rebuilding at the same time and all that stuff. It's pretty cool actually. And and I think the most forgotten man in the NFL is Tua. So I I still I have a I still have a lot of stock in Tua. I, I live on Tua Island. I think he's still going to be really really good. I think that I hope so. I collect sports cards. I got about fifty of his rookies. So I, <laughs> I I hope he's good. Because I saw what that guy can do in Alabama, and you know, he is a. I would say one of the three or four best SEC quarterbacks I've seen in the last fifteen years, and he had a devastating injury. Yeah, and you know the fact he's still only like 22, and people are writing him off like he's a bust or anything. It's it's crazy, you know. I think, the, I think I think the Dolphins mishandled that situation. That's true. Of too. course, yes. yeah. Yeah, I I think they should have left Fitzpatrick. Like if they if they felt like they they may pull because they were in a playoff race that they may end up pulling through, they should have never brought him in. I agree. Uh, it's kind of like the Giants when the Giants turned that they flipped that switch. They had Kurt Warner. I think they were like four and two or five. They had a winning record and they pulled Warner for Eli. They never went back. That's once you do that, you don't play with the head of your quarterback. Right. Yeah. Especially a guy you invested so heavily in who was to was brilliant to be the face of that franchise. And yeah. you start jerking with them. You never get them all the way back once you start doing that. So with the Jets, I mean, you were talking about how Rex, not to say Sanchez was that good, but you talked about how Rex Ryan had two good years. Look what they did. They played around with Sanchez. They bring in guys like Vic. And Tebow. Tebow. And, and now they're uh, drafting their 32nd quarterback since then. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And they'll screw him up. Actually, I think Zach Wilson's great, but we'll see if the Jets screw that up. But we'll see if they even get Zach Wilson. It's not really written in stone, is it? It's true. Um, all right, man. Well, you know, it was really great having you on. It's it's really good having level-headed people on. Having a level-headed podcast is our ultimate goal. It's never really been about the, our audience outreach or, or anything like that. Um, it's always about putting out a level-headed, informed, smart podcast. And, you know, putting you on this episode is, is absolutely right in line with what we're trying to do. So I appreciate you coming on. This was awesome. You know, you're going to have to hit us up with that tailgate when you do it. Send me a DM. Definitely. I'd oh, yeah. Love to definitely. go there and, and you know, bring you a drink or something like that. We'll hook you up with a ticket for a game too this year. Wow, no, you get. I I appreciate the offer, guys. No, no, you know, obviously, I I go on these podcasts from time to time. People reach out to me, and um, you know, I I, I don't have enough time to listen to podcasts. I'll be the first to say it because I'm on YouTube all the time. But I um, you know, I I didn't know what to expect. I think you guys are friggin' awesome. I think you guys are very knowledgeable. Um, and it was a pleasure talking to you guys. I think you guys got a great podcast here, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You know, like like you said, I'm the kind of the same way. I. I, I, I at least like to think I'm a level-headed Giant fan. And um, I think that's why people listen to me, because you have a lot of crazy Giant fans and they need therapy. But, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I um, you know, I had a blast coming on. And, uh, yeah, you guys definitely know what you're talking about. And, yeah, man, I'll definitely hit you up and 
try to organize something, maybe a get together uh, with a bunch of Giant fans for uh, one of these games. Sure. De- definitely want to go to one of those road games as well. Yeah, you know what our goal is, and we talked about this yesterday with Steffi, was that we want Giant fans to win any argument with any other fan base. We want them to have not having the silly hot take arguments that they do on sports radio or you know guy talk arguments. We want you know not to make you the smartest one, but would win an argument. You know, not with just over the top things that you see or cliches. And that's why we try to keep things as much perspective as we can. And we're emotional, but we try to take the emotion out of what we say and what our opinions are. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And, you know, people like you really help, you know, watching your videos, listening to all the good podcasts that are out there. Hopefully it just elevates just the overall level of the giant fan. So they're not going in the gutter with Eagle fans or Cowboy fans. We try to see who's the biggest meathead. We, we want them to win those arguments. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you, man. Uh, I take great pride in uh, talking Giants and, and, and talking to Giant fans that know what they're talking about. You mentioned Bobby. Uh, I, I'm actually going to have Bobby on 15 minutes on my channel. So I like Bobby. I think he's a really good guy. I think he knows what he's talking about. And there's, there's plenty of other uh, Giant content creators that know what they're talking about. And so many people that are passionate about the team. And um, yeah, I think we have one of the best fan bases out there. Tell uh, tell Bobby the cranky fan says the Nets suck. See what he says. <laughs> Deliver that message to him. <laughs> I will. I will. The cranky fan says the Nets suck. I'll, and, I, and I'm going to be on with Mike Too Nice also as a Nets fan. So I'll let both of them know. <laughs> on the off chance that we got somebody listening who doesn't know where to find your stuff, why don't you tell them where they are, where you're at? Uh, Entertainer talking sports, spelt with an A H. I don't know why it was off a whim. I had no plan behind that channel name. Uh, when I first started, it was completely for fun. No, I, I guess I wanted to put like a New York spin on it, but, um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm on YouTube. I'm actually thinking about in the near future, having a podcast all for YouTube. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out exactly what I want to do. Um, I think it's going to be more broad NFL, just, you know, with a giants touch, but more broad NFL because I do giants on YouTube, but yeah, you can find me there. I talk, like I said, mainly giants. I do some Knicks as well. Awesome, man. Uh, It was great having you on. Thanks so much for joining us. I had a pleasure, man. Anytime you guys want me to come on, let me know. All right. And with that, you can find me on Twitter at football underscore grump. And this podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever the hell else podcasts are. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan, where you know what I'm complaining about. Like, for example, if this fucking Rays team drops one more foul pop-up, I'm going to go out of my mind as I'm watching this on the side over here. But we'll talk about the Giants, the big draft. We'll talk Knicks, playoff run, obviously Rays and Lightning playoff runs and everything. So follow me at the Cranky Fan as I try not to lose my mind in the next few hours. And with that, that's it for us. All right, everyone, go Go Giants. Giants.